0: contact the show send us an email at live on at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media join the pearl jam podcast community group on facebook or follow us on twitter at live on legs pod this song is a
1: get out of jail song our friend al jorgensen is dedicated to the al's penis faucet ranch
0: And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the Live Pearl Jam podcast experience, featuring. This is
1: Stone Gasser. Fucking camera in the jump. Mr. Boom Gasper. You can call me L. You can call me Ed. You just just fucking call
0: me, when not you? Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. And as you can tell, my voice is a little hoarse. It's partially due to being in Chicago last week for two amazing shows, but unfortunately it's also due to testing positive for COVID, which has yet again become a storyline on a Pearl Jam tour in the post-2020 COVID world. Now, it is Kind of normalized a little bit now. Every band has gone through something like this, it seems, but it doesn't hurt any less. You know, we had nine shows for a reason, thinking that, okay, maybe this was enough for them to space out and try and get a full tour in and try to get as many shows done as possible. But for the second straight year, as we kind of saw last year, too. It was at a max at four shows. After Phoenix last year, that's when Matt caught COVID and it kind of led to everything that happened. And now after the Chicago shows, the same thing. Four shows seems to be the killer on this. You know, don't want to put too much of a damper on what we got for you today in Austin 1995, but also there also there are some things to take away from how the information spread for this. Compared to how information was spread in 1995, that I think we'll get to as the show goes on. Well, let's start it. Randy's over here. John Farrar over there.
2: Hey, hey. So. Yeah, this is uh, this was a bummer to hear because they were on such an interesting run with the way the settlers were going. Like St. Paul and Chicago. I think night one in Chicago, seventeen tour debuts. Night two, twelve more. It would have been really interesting to see where they would have gone with that, and, and maybe we still will. We don't know, and and we don't know that it is COVID. I mean, I'm starting to think that maybe it's something a little worse than that. I don't want to speculate. I don't want to play that game because we don't know at this point, but I wonder if this is maybe a little more serious than what we're assuming it is. I mean, COVID is the, the thing that everybody goes to, but maybe by the time you guys hear this, we'll know a little more, obviously, if the Fort Worth shows end up happening or not, but... Oh, the, sh- the shows were going so well. It, you know, we talked about it last year after getting some momentum back on that East Coast run that they were going to use that to kind of springboard into a big year and a new album and a new tour and everything. And it feels like everything's kind of been put a fork in it for, again for now. I mean, they've kind of lost that momentum. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, yeah, I feel bad for everyone who got hotels, drove there, was in the merch line, found out about 1, one thirty like show's not happening, but hopefully you guys are able to make the best of it. And, you know, we'll see what happens with the Texas shows, but yeah, it's a little bit of deja vu having to be here again, talking about this.
0: Yeah. And the difference here is obviously how they are handling it. And last year had no problem saying it. It was Matt that had COVID. It was Jeff that had COVID afterwards. And I've noticed that the nondescript illness has actually been used in other bands. And I remember Springsteen, when there was a an illness this past summer, they never said it was COVID or not. And I don't know, from my perspective, I'm thinking maybe there's an insurance policy issue or something yeah, like there's, that. there's HIPAA laws. There's all sorts mm-hmm. of things, yeah. Right, that maybe they, if, if they announce it's COVID, then they have to strike their whole entire set. Who knows? Who knows? But maybe it's really more of the crew than the band, and they want to keep the crew members from getting harassed on social media. Who knows? Yeah, we Who just don't know that. at this point, right?
2: Yeah. It would well, just be speculation g- to to guess.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's very fair, and yeah, I, it is what it is at this point. We personally can't change it, and from my personal situation, can't change that either. If they end up playing Fort Worth, then I'm going to have to live vicariously through your guys because that's just not going to happen here. But I don't know. Like, it's definitely concerning. It's concerning when it continues to happen. And is this just life as a concert goer now that you have to just keep all of this in mind? And then once somebody gets sick, they really have to drop the whole thing? Like, I, I don't know. I really don't know. This is where it kind of gets a little bit confusing.
2: They're yeah. not getting any younger. This is what happens to men in their late fifties. Things happen. They're not the invincible twenty-three-year-olds that they were in nineteen ninety-one. You know, this is something we're going to have to deal with if, if things are going to keep going for the next, you know, however many years foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, and that's a shame. But I, I think you know what we're going to talk about in this episode a lot is. We're going to talk about the spread of information and how that kind of all came to be in 1995. And obviously, in 1995, we don't have the same sorts of outlets that we do now. And I think we have to be thankful that within a couple minutes and just an email or, you know, a, a social media post away, everybody's able to figure out that, okay, this is canceled and the word is spread. I don't. I'd be very surprised if anybody showed up to the show tonight at six and found out that it was canceled by showing up like that yeah. just doesn't yeah. happen. But as we'll talk about in this show, they had a very not a similar situation, but they had a similar situation in that they had to spread the information to people consistent with a time change. And that did not go over very well because there wasn't a lot of information being spread out at that point. So i will give the band credit for being very honest and obviously it's it's very hard i I, we saw it last year over in europe and amsterdam where they really tried until the last minute to make things happen i'm sure that was the case this time too but yeah it's it's really challenging it's really challenging to go through put it all together and you know that the band does not want to quit on this
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the worst feeling. Like we talked about, they they know people are traveling, they know people have come from all over the country, from all over the world to see these shows and to have to let those people down. That's the last thing you want to do. And I think you get that from the tone of the message. I mean, I think we, this is last year, I wouldn't be surprised if this message was dictated by the band themselves. And they had a hand in putting that out there because, yeah, I mean, we've, how many times have we talked about, you know, the, the relationship they have with their fans and everything. Like, there's never been a band that's had this kind of relationship with their fans in in the history of rock music. And that doesn't go away because someone got sick. I mean, you see the people who are... You know, there's some people on the more entitled side that, that are going to be upset and going to be mad and going to be upset with the band, just like there were in 1995 at the show. But that's more on them. You know, the, the band is doing everything they can do. And if slash when we get all the information as to what happened... Then we'll be able to talk more about it and, and figure out, you know, more of the details of what went down. But yeah, it's just it's just a bummer because they were on such a good roll.
0: Yeah, on the bright side of this, the phrasing said postponement and not cancellation. So at least the very least you have something for next year. Yeah, a lot of people I know that are local, they might be antsy waiting and all that, but it just might have to be the case for some of these shows and i got really nothing we've kind of exhausted sort of the whole situation from last year to this year and it just doesn't seem like there's any stopping it. like from talking to a lot of people i went to chicago a very high percent of them caught covid over those shows not badly most of them say they have very mild symptoms, so at least everybody is still mildly healthy in a way. But, yeah, it's a damper. It's a disappointment. And, yeah, you know, we're just hoping that whoever it is that is feeling a little sick, we, we hope gets better very soon. Yep, absolutely. Okay, let's take some time to actually talk about Austin here and what happened. So there's a lot happening at this show from 1995. Now, I think... To kind of start, the story here is that, obviously, they had to move four shows over from what was the tail end of the June-July run. I believe that this show was originally supposed to be on July 2nd and got canceled because of the food poisoning incident at Golden Gate Park. They moved some over to September. They move a couple over to November as well. And a lot of people were pissed that they had to cancel that. And people thought, no, well, he's not going to have food poisoning for a week and and all that. So I can see how people can be upset about that, but at least they rescheduled it. However, the next thing that happens is that Pearl Jam and the company that runs South Park Meadows had to change up their schedule for them to start the show at 4. And look, you guys know how information is. You can tweet something out. You can send something out. In about 5 seconds, the whole entire world knows. And in about 10 seconds, it's old news. And now... From 1995, you didn't have anywhere close to that. Maybe you had some radio stations, but again, if you're not listening to the radio station at the right time, you don't get the right information. If you're not reading the newspaper on the right day, then you're not getting the right information. So everything gets shifted over because the next night, R.E.M. and Radiohead, what a show in 1995, R.E.M. and Radiohead. Fuck yeah, I'm in for that. Mm-hmm. They are set to play the next night, so they needed the time to break down and obviously set up and everything like that. But I'm wondering, did they do that every single time they had back-to-back? Or because this was a special occasion, did they not book anything back-to-back? It it, just feels so weird to me. So imagine that you're somebody, and there's a news article out there. The guys over at Pearl Jam Concert Chronology plucked this out and put it on their website. They did a good job with this. And they did a couple of like man-on-the-street interviews with people that showed up at like 7, 7.15. And when they show up, it's in the encore already. And they basically missed the whole entire show. And people were really pissed about it to the point where some of them said, I swear off Pearl Jam for the rest of my life. And I get that especially if it's a favorite band of yours. you know. One time, it's like, all right, I get the scenario, but the second time, and it is a little deceiving when you don't know that information, especially a week's time. And the report said that they sent out postcards. Well, everybody knows that postcards can get lost in the mail or not show up on the right time. It happens. So I guess this is an example of how information just didn't spread around this time.
2: You know, the Ramones opened up the show. I think the Ramones, you know, go on at 4.30 or 5 o'clock, whatever it is, in the afternoon. Imagine that with their leather jackets and all that and the Austin heat in the afternoon. That must have been crazy. And then I think the story is Pearl Jam went on a little before 6 o'clock. So yeah, if you showed up at 7.30, you're basically at the end of it. It's so weird. Like I said, I I wish you know I had more information about what led to this and what the process was like from the venue's perspective. Because you know you're running a risk in this. Like rock and roll concerts in the afternoon as a dicey proposition in 1995. Like changing the time is borderline unforgivable. I would have been real mad too. I don't blame those people.
0: It's very weird, and it made it seem like in that article that the venue was putting... Blame on Pearl Jam and basically saying, Well, they're probably not going to accept your refund. And that was pretty crappy on them to do that. But in this instance, it is everybody's fault and everybody should mm-hmm. just raise their hand and say, Guilty as charged and do right. But I don't think anybody did right by those fans in this scenario, unfortunately. But it was a very, very difficult time with Ticketmaster not being an outlet for them and not having sustainability with any of the tour. So That's just what you get, and it's very unfortunate. But also, for the people that did show up at 4, it was 105 degrees is what some people said. And you're getting down to Texas, so it's obviously going to be hot. Everything in Texas, any time of year, it's going to be a hot day. But... You're putting together like near thirty thousand people in this heat. You know, we got some I'm gonna go through some of these little stories here in just a second, but you're gonna have issues. And obviously they can play an arena or anything like that because of what position that they put themselves in. So I can imagine. You know, yep. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to read one of them right now. This I dug out from a Reddit thread. This is from Feisty Big 9244 People were passing out from heat exhaustion. It was so out of control that the city had to bring in the fire department and spray a full throttle fire hose out into the crowd because Pearl Jam couldn't afford vendors or get them, so there was no water or drinks for sale. I don't think that that is that accurate. But from what I've read that, yes, the fire truck came and did their thing. And that's just, oh, just horrible. And I think the world is smarter now for kind of understanding like, oh, you need water to survive. Yeah, it's pre-Woodstock 99. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just a lot of in the 90s as tough it up kid kind of stuff. But yeah, just awful. Just awful. He wouldn't want anybody to go through that in any sort of concert situation. And now I'm going to read something from the boards, the forum, from Slighted Jeff. He said, The show was moved up to four in the afternoon to allow cleanup for Radiohead and REM, but Texas in September, over 100 degrees. It's as humid as the devil's balls. Now this is interesting. So, knowing that, Ed comes out onto the stage with a corduroy jacket bundled up as a joke about the heat so that's kind of funny and like you mentioned with the ramones going out there with leather jackets sweating their asses off well it's kind of playing a joke on that as as well and of course the pits in 95 are just ridiculous so you can't really get over that and that's going to make things worse with people not only being dehydrated but like getting thrown around and everything like that like that can really cause some huge problems there were a lot of people that were getting stretchered out and stuff like that so it's good to kind of relive this and know that we've kind of evolved from that point we understand that the safety is a huge facet and especially with this band and if this show was after 2000 they would make sure that none of this would be an issue you know what i mean yeah yeah hey look in texas right now actually the weather report for texas is in the 80s believe it or not so (laughs) hopefully while down there everybody kind of gets a little reprieve that doesn't mean it's not going to be hot as shit Because the humidity can be up to like 90, 95 or so. But still, we're going to get that in Texas because when in Texas, you know. But let's kind of turn some ACs off and get in the mood here and start to sweat like the devil's balls. Because Ed is coming out with that corduroy jacket all bundled up like in three layers from what I read.
2: Well, evidently he came out during the Ramon set too. Yes. Yes, I did hear that had a dress on and a mask jumping around with a gaba Gabba
0: Hayes sign yep and what five horizon says is yep. okay nice try on that not wanting anybody yep. to figure him out but yep. look how obsessed is ed with the ramones you guys know that and he is just probably at this point just very very excited that he gets to see them every day for this week It's a pretty cool thing if you're in the mindset thinking back to when you were like 15 years old playing guitar in your room. Who are you emanating? The Ramones and the Who from Ed's standpoint. But we're opening this show with a song from Mirrorball called Act of Love, which they had opened with at that Milwaukee show too. this is that Act of Love back in July when they played in Milwaukee the Mirrorball record hadn't been released but now they're playing it here and they open with it here the album's been out for a month now so if they got the record people kind of know it and they kind of have figured it out but in 1995 this was really the Neil Mirrorball song that they kind of attached to and we all know now that throw your hatred down has been like the mirror ball song that comes in and out every now and again. But I love them bringing an Act of Love and, and making it an opener, and it kind of becomes one of those things just lost in time. You just never see this, a song a part of the set, but it's it's such a fun song to hear jack just kind of chop that tree down like i always talk about that just that precision beat that he has on corduroy where it feels like he's chopping he has that exact same way to him on act love, this sounds really really good i thought for an opener this is great and imagine if they were like you know what fuck it let's go back to our roots and bring that back this tour that might be a probably not but if they're paying tribute to everything you're both something to pay tribute to too
2: Well, first off, I want to apologize to all of our listeners because we haven't done a Jack's show since March of this year. That's pretty weird. And I want to sincerely apologize to every single one of you for that, because as soon as this started, I was oh yeah, (laughs) just that warm feeling you get when Jack's on the drums or that I get at least, oh, just unbelievable. And Act of Love, it's about Stone, that thick riff, Act of Love, that heavy sound, playing like Neil plays. It does have a little bit of like an awkward start. It feels like they're trying to find each other for the first measure or two, and then it kicks in and it's so good. And yeah, Jack just destroying this thing. And The bootleg on this is very, very good. A or A plus, I would think, but especially on the drums, like you can hear everything Jack is doing. If you're a fan of of the Jack era, like definitely if you haven't gone back to this in a while, go back and listen to it because it's wonderful to hear every single thing that he's doing on every single song. It was a pleasure and the act of love just a killer start to this thing
0: oh we'll talk about jack when it comes to immortality i'm sure it won't be the only time we talk about jack but immortality especially is going to be a treat for you guys so really good kickoff with act of love then you need to go go in the last exit before ed kind of stops and addresses things but look i thought that this was a massive Mike McCready show here. I thought that Mike was really on fire during this whole entire set and it's starting with GO and it sounded like GO solo kind of took the presence and I've said this there's a version of Corduroy where I've said this about the Montreal 2000 version which is pretty highly lauded and it feels like Mike is doing almost like an even flow solo on GO which is just strange draws you in and it feels like it's very very wah heavy and he's got a very like screechy noise effect and like i imagine javier's not gonna be here this week with us but this would i would have tossed his way absolutely but boy mike just tore go a new ass you know
2: he can pull that out sometimes where the even flow solo is almost it's like a narrative like it has parts to it and it goes on this journey and like when he decides to do that in a condensed version in something like Go or something like Corduroy, there's gonna be a few of them in his Yeah, I agree, it's a really good mic show.
0: And you know, kind of what I was listening to with the first couple songs is that they aren't playing them at full speed capacity. It doesn't feel like they have a little like groove and rhythm to them. That's and back, I'm wondering... Yeah. Yeah, and I'm wondering if it's just not just Jack, but it's that they don't want to get too exhausted early on if they're playing really fast early then in that 105 degree heat, then they might not have a lot of energy for later. So they they do a really good job of dispersing the songs in the set and kind of, you know, throwing in small town in the middle right there and and kind of doing some other things that break it up and just make it feel like they're fighting this massive heat wave. And it's smart. And we don't get to kind of see that a lot, especially now that they don't play a lot of outdoor venues. So it's good that in 1995 they were thinking that because back when you're a little bit younger, a crowd like this, you'd maybe not want to pace yourself. You'd probably want to just play, but they did a smart thing.
2: And yeah, there's a few teases here interspersed throughout the set, and I think that's probably to kind of give that a break and give Jack a break and like get some water. I think yeah, you think you're probably right on that. Can see them right before they went on like, all right, pace yourself. We got to get through a lot of songs here. Let's make sure we don't run out of gas by the
0: end yeah and the next thing is you know last exit was very good here too i don't want to like take anything away from that And changes to four days not much longer and just absolutely rips into the mic at the end of this First what of eight, eight songs. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not complaining. No. So, obviously, Ed is paying attention to what's going on in the crowd. He's paying attention to what's going on in the stage. I wonder if it's... A little bit of both as to why he stopped here because usually you would think you get the opener go last exit animal tremor christ corduroy that would be your first section of most shows in 1995 before they would stop and break for a second but i'm wondering he sees out in the crowd and he kind of knows like okay maybe an early stop is not a bad idea for the band to just take a second maybe get themselves some water but he says, we're recreating an episode of Baywatch. we got to save a couple of lives and look pretty at the same time. So we're going to stop for a second, get everyone on their feet. How's everyone else? We okay up here? It's hot, heavy, human. Hellacious acres here in Austin. Everyone take two steps back. This takes a little while to kind of put together because the two steps back thing is really not part of their repertoire at this point but it's about to be in in later years and Stone is playing this like little ditty in the background and what does Ed do Gives it a little bit of long road. That's stone reminiscent of those hard
2: to imagine teases from '92. Just kind of like noodling around on something, kind of killing time for a second. And yeah, you know, don't forget, you know, long road wasn't released yet. Right, and it had been played a couple of times. But if you weren't at those shows, you wouldn't know that Merkin Ball EP wouldn't come out till December
0: right and at this point long road had only been played twice right. i don't think that anybody down in austin texas was in either casper or wyoming hey maybe they went up to red rocks who wouldn't go to red rocks but yeah. it's very very rare at that point in 1995 it would start getting implemented a little bit more in 96 after the ep came out but it's interesting you know people in the crowd are like probably not even paying attention They're like not what's going on here and now if he would have done that the place would have just went nuts for that and probably wouldn't have let them play another song so that will get you an animal tremor christ and corduroy i love how they rip from the long road tees right into animal i thought that that was really cool and animals again that's another mic one here into just some extra while the band is now starting to pick up their pace just a little bit
2: how about ed getting kind of silly on the vocals at the end too like that's something
0: we never heard before yeah that's interesting
2: yeah getting a little weird with it
0: now you mentioned the a a plus quality of this boot and i i tend to agree with you on that i think that this is a really really good boot quality but I wouldn't give it an A+, just because it does feel like the bass is down just a little bit, a little bit of a casualty, and you really notice it during song like Tremor Christ, where you need that bass and it kind of loses a little bit of that personality that i really like from the song i still like that it's making its presence here in 1995 obviously and it's on our minds now since they played it last thursday of course which is one of my favorite vitalogy songs so love that and how about ed doing the deborah on this the triumphant on the angels, if they can. Mm-hmm. That's something that she always points out that she really, really loves out of that song.
2: She mumbles something and then starts like screaming every other word. and the thing it's interesting. I can I couldn't tell what he was mumbling, but it's a cool performance,
0: yeah. And I guess the mumbling kind of leads to some angst on corduroy because it he oh. really just lets it all out on this. This is like, classic 1995 the bridge just almost gets like so quiet that it stops i love that i love that and then just get snap right back into it and bring that thunder and jack is just the man on the surge here
2: tension and court. Corduroy now is a little more relaxed and, you know, they do different things with it, but 95 Corduroy, it feels like it could snap at any moment. The build up keeps going and going, and then at the end, it's just so cathartic when it just lets loose. Mike Solo at the end of Corduroy is just unreal. Yeah, this is just a killer performance. This is probably my favorite version from this show, my favorite performance. Just an absolute
0: destruction of a performance of Corduroy. Yeah, very, very good. Mike, again, is going to have the NBA jam strike here so not too shabby at all. Now, oh, what do we get after here? Mm. Well, it sounds like it's Stone maybe doing all of this, but there's a little tease, and they jam it for about, I don't know, like 15 or 20 seconds or so, and it's No Jeremy, New Jeremy, No Jeremy, whatever you want to call it. song is not played at this show, so I wonder you know you kind of mentioned, and that's a really good point that you brought up the little breaks and kind of letting them play out. but I wonder if this was supposed to be on the set, and then maybe somebody said, "All right, well, not this early or something like that. I don't know, but I wonder if this was originally supposed to be here or just fucking around,
2: yeah, I kind of think it's just fucking around, like Stone looks around and goes. Hey, we have 30 seconds here. What's on my mind? What's my go to thing right now? And, you know, No Jeremy is kind of the new thing. So I just think that's him
0: just, again, just wasting some time, giving everybody a breather. I think for No Jeremy, I'm not sure if we're at all of them now, but I think we're really close to covering mm-hmm. the full lineage of No Jeremy because we've done Randall's Island, we've done Milwaukee, Red Rocks, obviously. So. There's actually one that we haven't done yet, and that is San Diego Night 2 from 95. But everything else, Red Rocks, Sacramento, Milwaukee, the little Tees here, and Randall's Island we've talked about. So that's one more time. Whenever we get to that San Diego show, then that's it. We're done. All right, the next section is 100 Pacer into Not For You. Obviously, if you know the history of that, 100 Pacer is a little song called Lucan. That was the original demo title for it. And yeah, Lucan, not unlike what it is now, it is barely decipherable with the lyrics, and the crowd doesn't seem like they have any idea what to think about it. You know, I think maybe they needed No Code to appreciate it more. It's been a little while since we've done the 1995 show, but uh, I kind of forget what the acceptance for the song was because it just feels like it's just in and out and people are like, what? What was that? You know, some people that might be keyed in on it are like, that was awesome. And they should say that, but very strange if you're in that crowd and you go from Corduroy and that No Jeremy tease into a one-minute speedster. Right,
2: right. You can tell this is a work in progress because he rhymes away from home, I think is the end of every line. He just rhymes away from home with itself about five times in a row. It's over so fast, you don't even have time. It's just afterwards like, what? That's a new song? Like, What are they doing? What is this new record going to be? Yeah, it would have been like, again, for me, I didn't get a chance to see him in 95. But if I had heard this, I would have been like, I'm stoked for this next record.
0: Not only that, but it is one of the earliest versions of the combo, the Luke and into mm-hmm. Not For You combo. So that, you and know, they did,
2: But again, they, they don't, there is a space there. They no, don't go straight right.
0: into it. But, right. There's yeah. not that rolling drum beat. Actually, there yeah. is no rolling drum beat to start. They start with guitar on this one. Yep. And it's a perfect specimen for a 1995 version. The rage and intensity is, is there and the ending doesn't have that typical Ed plucking away, but I thought that stone at the end was just terrific. A little bit, he's kind of holding out some of those notes and letting it get spacey, trying a little something different and a little bit more upbeat to end this on. I thought that was incredible. One of the cool things from this night for sure.
2: This is another highlight, one of the best songs of nineteen ninety five, not for you. Yeah. Just all ferocity and angst. And yeah, again, another one that has kind of I won't I won't say mellowed, but it doesn't have the same vigor that it had, like the anger and everything, but all of that's present in this version. And, and again I gotta mention Jack too on this, just fantastic.
0: All right, our section now, as I mentioned, small town like in the middle of the set, you need a little breakup. Well, that's a good time to break it up got small town why go even flow back to back to back here and it does feel a little weird sometimes when you go back to a version of small town that's not like in the 1998 2000s where they don't do a one two three four two three it's just one of those things you always kind of think that it's just a part of the lineage but back here it's really not the anthemic small town just yet while it's a nice performance it does feel like just kind of a buffer to the next thing you know what i mean yeah, I mean, I'm looking at live footsteps here. Some of the other Versus songs,
2: Daughter has played 115 times, Rearview Mirror 103, Animal 107, Go 106. For Small Town here, it's only the 46 performance, like less than half of those other ones. So yeah, definitely was not in the regular rotation at this time and hadn't become what it would yet become.
0: Yeah, and now you got to look at it. And I think that it might have more plays than Rearview Mirror at this point. It, it does. does by 14. So that's just kind of an incredible swoop in and become that crowd favorite over time. And, you know, we talk about that a lot, how songs just seem to get that second wind of energy late in their career, and obviously that's one. Now, Why Go, very interesting to me, because Why Go gets a little bit of an extended drum intro, and we've talked about this 1995 versions of Why Go before, and how it was really after this era that they said, let's dump a couple songs, let's not go back to those. Interesting to go to, yep. Yep. Then, of course, as we talked about a couple months ago, it doesn't return until Mansfield. So I'm wondering if they, at this point, are still trying to figure out new aspects to work to it there are versions of why go from this era that i thought were a little rough i love this one though and i gotta go back to mike because he's just put another very loud and screechy solo on this he is absolutely a highlight reel from this you can't put anything past him it's just been an incredible run in what like 10 songs so far excellent
2: Started, I immediately was like, Oh, this is gonna be a Jack thing, and like I mentioned, too, with the audio quality, you get to hear everything that Jack is doing on this intro of Why Go. It's such a small sample size that he played on that you almost never see it out in the wild, you know. But yeah, holy crap, Jack on this intro is so good, and I love that they let him extend it a little bit, like you mentioned, and really find a groove on it before Jeff comes in. And yeah, I mean, I love this paired with Even Flow here, too. It's like the perfect opening spot for Even Flow here, too give mike a chance to warm up
0: yeah for sure as i mentioned nba jam mode that's what mike is in on this and before even flow starts i think we got to mention that ministries al jorgensen gets mentioned here and it turns out that he was arrested for heroin possession at the time so he's dedicating it to him and said something about al's penis faucet ranch
2: I think that, that was his Even Flow title. I think he was making a joke about Even Flow coming up next. Yeah,
0: Right, coming up with something a little ridiculous. Yeah. I wonder if that's an inside joke that they had or something like that. Maybe. Back on Lollapalooza, who knows. And it's apparent yet again on Even Flow coming out swinging right away. Very, very flashy. Holding out those notes and kind of lets the crowd admire his skill set. And you can hear kind of a surge from the crowd like they're getting real into it. And even at the end, as the ending chorus kind of happens, like Mike is still getting blows in on that and I just again red hot versions of songs because of Mike in 1995 he was doing it more often for sure but boy Mike highlights in this era are just fantastic
2: Yeah, this version of Even Flow is interesting too. It's definitely a tighter performance than we're used to hearing. You know, back in 91, 92, 93, Even Flow was very loose, very groovy. And then it would start to become that again, you know, post-98, post-2000. But these versions are a little more drawn and a little more tense. You can tell that they're keeping it pretty tight. And during the solo, you hear just Mike, Jeff, and Jack. You don't hear Stone's guitar. And I wonder if this is one of the ones where Stone was helping out on percussion that we heard about one time you do not hear stone's guitar during the solo it's just the one guitar so that would have been really cool to see a video of new no one seemed to mention it in any of the reviews but i think this is probably
0: one of those versions our next little section is going to be two verses songs and a single song dissonant daughter state of love and trust what was the highlight from this from you i i think that i know what you're going to say here but what was your highlight
2: state of love and trust
0: oh yeah i think this is about jack in this version. Oh,
2: that break that Jack has in State Eleven Trust is one of the greatest things I've heard in a long time.
0: Is this our first opportunity to give Jack a filthy fill moment? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> talked a lot about how State of Love and Trust was another one of those songs in 1995 with Jack. They were still kind of figuring out what to do with him and I remember there was one where you kind of called it like that double time punk rock beat and they go back to it but it worked for this, I thought, like as they're picking up pace and Mike is doing his thing on another killer solo, it does feel like almost that double time is very reminiscent of how he works with Last Exit on State of Love and Trust. I thought that that was kind of cool implemented that way. Yeah, I absolutely love this version Jack just added so much They can do so many
2: more things with Jack behind the kit And just explore different things And yeah, State of Love and Trust here is very, very good But that improv on Daughter is very good too
0: Yeah, a little bit stark there at Doing some yeah. vocal stretches at the end And I guess it was just an improv thing it, He made it seem like it was you know something that was pretty normal to him But before getting into WMA, he's just doing some random stuff which yeah, is it's always got, welcome. It's
2: got hints of like there's shades go down in there a couple of times and he says standing up on top of the world and in my dreams I was a beautiful girl, like shades are raised, can't be brave. I think it fits really well with the daughter lyrics. Almost like an extra verse of daughter or something, like adding something to the story. It was very, very cool.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. Yeah, I I guess from the standpoint of the lyrics, they just seemed so defined that it did feel like something that Ed had heard before and used. But obviously we know how good he is with lyrics anyway, so it doesn't matter. All right, there's an extended break a little bit before Ed actually takes the mic. And it sounds like maybe this is the point where maybe the fire engine comes in and sprays water. But he says, water's the most valuable stuff in the world. Three fourths of our bodies are made up of water. You guys put together an ocean. The guys who played before us don't have any waters in their body. They just got punk rock and they're called the Ramones. And now for the next six songs, I'm going to package two and two and two and two and two and two 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 together because Rear Vermeer and I Got Shit Together are incredible and Immortality and Black and Black Circle and Alive. They all kind of seem like they're never played in this fashion alongside of each other but when they are every song feeds off the last one you wouldn't think that i got shit would ever fall in river mirror because a especially at the time i got Shit" is in the same boat as long road it's being played a little more but river mirror we all kind of are fixated on that's an end upset song but to get that here and to hear the balance of that very very well done and then immortality in black you think after either of those songs immortality they would kind of go something more upbeat after black they would kind of go something more upbeat but having those back to back bring a different dynamic into this and then black circle and alive isn't like uncommon but it's just another defiant moment of how those two songs can blend so well and get the excitement back after black and get something real fast before getting something anthemic. what do you think about all
2: Yeah, this is just a murderer's row of songs from State of Love and Trust on. I mean, Rearview Mirror could easily be the highlight of the show, but it might not make the top three. If you're looking at, like, such a hypnotic jam part to it it gets kind of slow the staccato guitar at the end which i think is mike super cool like just adding these textures to it and then jack on top of that and the way he locks in with jeff on it is just fantastic like rearview mirror is amazing in this and the transition from rearview mirror into i got shit is unbelievable too like how they get from one to the other is just perfect you know i got shit with jack again just love that song again another one that we talked about with long road that's unreleased at the time you're thinking like oh like this is a new song like this album's gonna be amazing yeah then you kind of go on this little mini journey like rear view mirror builds it up like it's not a big open rearview mirror it's more tight like I said like hypnotic and then you build it up with immortality black it's very very well done
0: yeah I love River mirror at the end where Ed is getting very visceral his voice is really unleashed on that and then there are these little fills from the guitars at the end of it kind of ringing out and making it bigger as Jack just keeps pounding harder and harder and harder away like that is really really cool how they added that in but also for I Got Shit it does feel like it's a little bit different because Mike isn't really playing those high pitched chords it's a little more bluesier and dare I say like it taps into even more of what Neil Young can bring to the table here too it kind of sounded a little bit like that maybe mixed with a little Stevie Ray Vaughan but this version almost kind of sounded like I Got Shit and Distant sort of had a love child and it just got such a different unique feel to it.
2: immortality here could easily be forgotten about but i got shit as just as good as those other ones it holds its own here
0: for sure for a new song
2: that's unreleased at this point
0: absolutely reminds me of in chicago where you think okay there's got to be some buffer songs but that night one not one every song worked within right. the rest of the set and that's for something very special if you can do that immortality is my favorite song from this show You know what kind of immortality you're gonna get right from the very start. And it's the fact that they come out of the gate with this with so much power. And it feels like Jack is perked up right from the start. And they're not, necessarily building off that downtrodden moment they're coming into it really confident and it has a massive presence with Jack and then with Mike as well Like Mike comes into this as if his first section of the solo might be as intense as his normal second section of the solo in 1995 and then plays off of that and it just rips up to the heavens man and there's still many good highlights just from the song alone. After the solo, Jack has another just filthy fill. Like, I feel like we can probably play a filthy fill for every song in this set. That's just sort of what happens with Jack, but this one right at the end of the solo is just damn right nasty. Then the ending, of course, Jack is manhandling this whole thing, and it's one of these where you kind of just think it's over, and it's just about to calm down, it's just about to land the plane, but Jack is getting in some more jabs. It's just, oh, unbelievable performance of this before getting into a very, very great performance of Black as well.
2: Yeah, it's an absolute epic, and there's a moment here too, I think, before the break into immortality where it kind of takes a breath before in the kind of the bridge. There's like a five second section right before that where the whole band is just surging. Like, that may be the best five seconds of Pearl Jam that I've heard in a very, very long time. Like, that's why they are who they are, and that's why I love them because that five seconds of this song is like, oh, like there's nothing like it when they all surge like that and when they all are pushing themselves and going for it and like locked in together. And it happens so often with Jack that we were kind of spoiled by so many of these versions of Immortality, Corduroy, and so on and so forth. But just an amazing performance. And and from there, like you get to the break, it just keeps going and getting better and better and better and better all the way up to the end. It's unbelievable.
0: Mortality, which would lead to a very powerful and very confident and upbeat version of Black. Once you keep going, once you get to the end, another one that has a ton of power behind it. Another one Mike is absolutely untouchable on. Ed is tapping into something deep with We Belong Together and keeps doing these ahs over again. You can tell everybody's playing by feeling this. and It's just another one that the band absolutely slams on.
2: Yeah, it soars in a way. I mean, we kind of talk about a lot of versions of songs now, they do that, but like I talk about starting with State and Ruby Mirror, like Ruby Mirror building that up and not being an open performance. This black is when it opens up and we belong together. is very, very good. It's Mike. Like I said, an amazing show by Mike here, but His solo on here just takes it to another level and you feel like you're floating in the stratosphere. There's not a bad version of Black Blackout in a very long time. Yeah, this is up there with the best and just takes the energy from immortality and turns it into something else and sends it back. It's very, very well done.
0: And it's a big moment right near the end of the set, and Black is gonna get the black circle and then alive, and then your crowd is really, really gonna get elevated and really start to move around and get crazy here. Stone starts that riff for spin, but it sounded like maybe he's having a little bit of guitar trouble, but Ed kinda falls up. He's getting fierce, he's roaring on this, he's just letting himself go. It gets more chaotic as it goes on, I think a lot of that is Jack and the intensity that Jack is bringing. I think Ed is really just trying to match what Jack is bringing to the table on here and as Jack goes, Ed just goes even further. At the end, after one of the spin-spin in the chorus, there's just a point where he just goes, ah! And that was just awesome. Again, 1995, Spin the Black Circle is just unleashed and this one is no different.
2: Yeah, and I feel like this on the that list is meant to be like the left turn before the ending. You know, you've had these big songs, River Mirror, I Got Shit, Immortality, Black, and you're gonna throw in, spin the black circle here to be like, oh, here's a change of pace before we hit you with the end of the main set. But I think he has the same energy, really. It doesn't really deviate from what's been happening. I mean, it feels like it's just gonna implode on itself at the end, just mentioned mention the chaos, like that ending is, oh, just feels like they're all trying to just blow up the stage, like implode the the whole thing on itself feels like it fits in and has that same kind of energy that everything before it does it's again fantastic and i think alive is really the one that doesn't at this point that's the one that feels like it's a little more obligatory and that kind of loses everything i thought
0: this is another talking point we've come up with before because alive does have some motivation issues in 1995 but it does feel like ed it has a purpose for this one that Ed isn't taking a leave of absence during this, like he, he did at one of the Red Rock shows. He's into it, and even right from the beginning, after having got a little story for you, he goes, Check it out. And like little things like that, that the band was on top of it, and Ed felt like he had a little bit of emphasis on some of those parts too but again it's a mike mccready show so he's going to take this over but one of my favorite things about 1995 alive is that jack breaks out the wipeout roll. oh <laughs> i just love that <laughs> one of my favorite things that Jack does during a life. Just excellent and fantastic. I'm here for it all day.
2: See, to me, the check this out thing is him kind of distancing himself from it and trying to separate it a little bit. And then he does the ready to fuck you, which is kind of like a throwaway thing. Like, oh, you know, whatever. And then he gets things like, yeah, 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 fuck off. And like, I think there's a little bit of hints in there that this is a little bit of a throwaway for him. Like, he's not feeling this like he was on Immortality and Corduroy and some of the other great performances we
0: talked about. Possibly, but the band is on top of everything, and that's what's crazy about this. All right, well, we're finally at the encore and pausing for station identification. Now, what's interesting about this week and what we're going to talk about this week is that we don't have any karaoke or raffles or anything like that going on, which is great because we can't spend any time on that right now because our little run that we've been doing on Patreon with the show reviews happening in real time and instant reaction right after the show have gained a lot of traction and when I mean a lot of traction I mean that count them 50 brand new patrons have signed up what wow this doesn't happen guys that is that Never. is a record. That is that is the new record. Yeah, I wasn't even counting old records, yeah. to be honest yeah. with you. Right, right. <laughs> and unless something crazy happens on the next tour where it just gets bigger and bigger, I don't foresee this ever happening again. Unbelievable. And I know a lot of people, obviously, they want to hear the reaction, and that's why they're joining up, and that's totally cool. I'm fine by that. But you can see a lot of people in here have – pledged for the entire year and have done the bonus leg for the duration of 2023 into September 2024 too. So we really appreciate that and, and thank people for that. But here we go. I think that this is going to be a little bit of a marathon. I'm take gonna take a drink of water. Now. You
2: you didn't give me any of these names beforehand. I I can pull it up if you need me to take some
0: it might be a nice little test. Uh, <laughs> let's let's see where we're at. Let's see where we're at, because I'm trying to do all the bonus legs and, and stuff like that. All right. All right, guys. Let's do it. Before I get into any other name for the bonus leg, guys, the first person I want to thank is Danny Baston. Now, I believe that Danny was a patron a long, 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 long time mm-hmm. ago. That's why I bring him up, because... He might have been one of the first people that we didn't know that became a patron. He didn't last very long, but it's very, very cool to see his name come up again, so I figured I'd mention that one first. All right, here we go. Here are the brand new Bonus Leg Patrons. Dennis Ludich, Marie Bingham, Greg Broughton, Kelly Rose and Franklin Freak, Frank Trent now, Matt LaRitia. Cameron Henderson, Terrell Tangonan, Mark Lombardozzi, Paul Erdman, Ty, just Ty. There's going to be a couple of ones of these. Michael Mahoney, Present Tense 22. Would love to get to know you and get to know your name, but Present Tense 22. Christopher Johnson, Mark McQueen, Heidi Munsterman, Robert Eldridge, Jeff Wright, Stephanie Keogh, Luke Hell, Carl Manham, Matthew Mann, John Cowling, Wes, just Wes, Chris Laren, Lindsey Kraus, Rick Itchley, Jamie Van Dusen, Jeremy Selsky, David Bertado, Levi Matson, Jay Terrian, Susan Dunmore, Anthony Parent, Jeremy Wong, Kaz, Clint Thomas, Matthew Van Buren, Jen Savadius Milne, and then two solo names here—two more Madonnas for you, Mark and Nate. So, wow! Um, yeah, thank you guys. That's that's humbling. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now i'm just glad that everybody signed up but i i hope that everybody's really enjoying this stuff because it's like it's unlike anything else that's going on in this community right now think about it like sirius isn't really doing this right they, they aren't doing their post show or anything like that so we felt kind of obligated and we're the live podcast and what's anything better than talking about live music than talking about live music right after it happens, So that's meaningful and important to us. So I'm glad that you guys picked up on that and consider it important to you as well. Now, I'm going to thank some Giggleleg and Horizon Leg patrons too. Because I want to just do everything in order. So thank you, Robert Reeb. Thank you to Alex Booth. And thank you to a long time Live on Four Legs fan... Dawn McQueen, and somebody I spent a lot of time with in Chicago. Yeah. Just Dawn and Simon, just wonderful, wonderful people. So thank you so much to them. And Great. then we also have two brand new Horizon Leg patrons. And one of them is Tracy Karifa. So Tracy, I got to meet in Chicago as well. And she is a very, very entertaining human being and just nice. love being around her. True boss tonight. So Glad to have her aboard and she told some Argentinians that I was the president of the Pearl Jam fans. So uh there's that. And they were really excited to take pictures with me. So I guess I'll take it. I guess I'll take it. So thank you, Tracy. And then the other Horizon Leg tier member is Howard Wolfson. So that's awesome. That was like 50 thank, or so people. Thank you guys so much. That's
2: yep. unbelievable.
0: Yep. And we're going to be doing these until the end of the tour next week in Austin. So if you want to sign up and listen to these, patreon.com slash live on four legs. And head on over. A dollar a month or for the month, we'll get you to listen to these and we'll get you all of the instant reaction. From the live shows that are happening right now. And yeah, just a very, very exciting thing. And I hope you all get to enjoy listening to it. So, nothing else to say after that. So, I that, that was, I think, enough for the year right there. <laughs> I think we've hit our allotment, but Patreon doesn't really have an allotment. So, thankfully, anybody that wants to join in and get more content can join in and get more content. So, That's what it's all about. That's it. It's fun. So let's go back to The Rock. All right. Ed is coming out here. And obviously, Ed at the time is at odds with the city of New Orleans or some guy that's in New Orleans that wants to kick his ass badly. (laughs) If you don't know the story, in 1993, in between one of those three shows that happened, Eddie got arrested along with jack mcdowell for getting into a little bit of a barroom scuffle with somebody that called ed out and that i believe is the only time that ed's ever been arrested so there you go so he's just kind of dreading the fact that he has to go back to new orleans because he doesn't know what the hell is going to happen but it's a little tongue-in-cheek too so just says yeah we're going to play here a little while longer just play here now so, way we're gonna start off the encore is once into Sonic Reducer. And once is dedicated to Uncle Joey. I think we all know who that is with who opened. Yep. And Jack sounded like he had a little bit of a shortened beat on this, a little bit quicker snare timing, and an absolute nasty fill in the last chorus. That's a filthy one for you, right there. <laughs> This is another one that I think Jack was playing around on a little bit at the time and seeing what they had with him.
2: Yeah, he's so interesting on the 10 songs because that's not his wheelhouse. And it's so interesting to go back and hear his take on some of these things because, you know, this is the only time that they hadn't done once since the far east run back in march so not one that they were busting out all the time and yeah it, it very interesting to hear his take on it it's a little bit different but once is not his
0: wheelhouse really yep it stuck around it didn't go the way of deep and wide go right. but right. it sure could have it's not like a necessity it's not jeremy or even flow or alive or even porch they kept it around because they still felt confident with it i suppose Sonic Reducer is going to go next. And before Sonic, Mike is actually teasing Baba real quick. Ooh, that's a dirty tease. (laughs) You don't tease Baba and then go into something else, even if it is Sonic Reducer. Come on.
2: Yeah, Baba is not for this crowd. You know, they're going to want Sonic
0: Reducer more than Baba O'Reilly. This is not a Baba O'Reilly show. No, it's not. But I think that the crowd is definitely going to know Baba a little more than Mm -hmm. Sonic. So you just don't know. But like, yeah, the way that they treat this, the treatment that they give this and again jack hammering away with a very very tight snare and a big drum roll in the bridge and ed of course just belting out every word to this this is a pretty on fire version of sonic
2: yeah jack is the highlight on this for me again I, I love the song i think because it was on the fan club single i think a bunch more people were more familiar with it than they might have been otherwise but love this here and this is kind of a weird encore we're gonna get a few covers here we're gonna get an O T O T in a second, but I love Sonic Reduce from whenever it shows up. And I think the one from the next night is the
0: one when Joey Ramone came out and sang on it. So very, very cool. Now after Sonic, Mike is actually noodling a little bit of Angie in the background, something that he's known to do, of course. Mm-hmm. And Ed said this next one is a really old song by a band called The High Numbers, later called The Who. If Joey Ramone can buy me this single, then he can have my wife. Now you got to think of Leaving Here at the time They were just preparing for that Home Alive record That would come out a little bit after this And this is actually the second all-time performance of Leaving Here So it is still pretty fresh and brand new
2: Are you familiar with the high numbers? Are you familiar with that whole thing with The Who and why that happened and everything? Because I did a little bit of research here Because you talked about the single And that kind of piqued my interest a little bit Yeah, talk about it this is from Discogs. For a few months in 1964, approximately July to October, The Who changed their name to the high numbers and only released one single under that name before reverting to the more appropriate The Who. Resulted from their association with Pete Meaden, a bod who briefly managed them in 1964, He was instrumental in getting the band to gear their music and image more toward the mod movement, and it's reflected in his choice of the name The High Numbers, which arose from mod slang. They wisely changed their name back to The Who by November 1964, and they only released this one single, like Ed talks about, you know, very hard to find. There's one of the original non-discogs is for sale for over $5,000 right now but evidently it flopped at the time. The song's on it, I think it's Zoot Suit on I'm the Face. So Leaving Here isn't even on the single, but It'll Set You Back released in 1964, and they went on to obviously bigger and better things in 65 and beyond, but that was kind of cool. I I didn't, you know, you talk to people, we knew it was the high numbers and like turned into The Who, but it was actually a little kind of sidestep from The Who real quick, and then they went right back.
0: Interesting, yeah. I didn't really know much about that, so yeah, thanks for sharing that, that's really cool. Now, out of leaving here, we go into what's been talked about a real lot on this podcast lately in very positive and glowing manner, versions of Better Man, and how they feel so exciting when we get to them now. They feel anthemic, they get the crowd involved, and I think a lot of those times where we're talking about those kind of versions, we go back to 1995 and say, it really didn't start off as a song like this. It wasn't anthemic it didn't have a lot of crowd participation it was kind of played very straightforward and straight through and also had a very kind of country vibe to it you know this is them not really having an identity with the song just yet later in the next year in 96 they would start using the save it for later tag but it wouldn't be anything close to what they would do now with the anthemic moments and all that but better man is just kind of right here in the encore and I don't even know if the crowd kind of sees it the way that it would be seen much later.
2: Yeah, only the 29th performance. And I mean, we talked about some stats earlier with Versus in Small Town. This is way behind some of the other Vitalogy stuff. You know, we're going to talk about Whipping in a Minute. That's at 53 here. Spin the Black circles at 43. Even Tremor Crisis at 39. So Better Man is falling way behind on that record as far as plays go. But it's funny because it does get a little bit of a good crowd reaction when it starts. People are kind of like, oh, yeah, I like this song. But it has the feel of more just like a poppy kind of rock song. And like I said, it's, it's not the big, big moment that it would become. But again, it feels like a little bit of a detour from what's going on. But I think it actually like has a little bit. You mentioned country shit. had a little bit of an R.E.M. feel to me. Which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. It feels like Better Man, it could be like a lost early Murmur Reckoning era REM song, too. You can picture kind of Michael Stipe fumbling his way through those lyrics unintelligibly in the early 80s. But yeah, I don't mind this. You know, it's kind of interesting to go back and listen to. Obviously, Better Man is like this monolith now in in the set. But here it's just like, kind of fits in with like leaving here and what's going to come next.
0: Just like, hey, here's this
2: two and a half three and a half minute pop song for you
0: sure and look you kind of mentioned it right here we mentioned it before the band that is going to play the next show at the right time at the proper time to play a show at this venue is is rem and obviously that's on ed's mind so you can cover an rem song and the choice here is very interesting talk about the passion which is a terrific song off a of murmur
2: way out of Ed's range like it gets to the he is like he's hurting by the end of this like can't get the note and I think that's another reason why they kind of cut it short because he would have been struggling this is not in his range vocally can't pull it off at this point
0: yep that's for sure but taking it to whipping here just very deliberate sounding I didn't really have much to say on it but like a good 1995 performance Jack's precision hits are right on the spot just thought Jack again was mastering this Serves the same purpose as been the black circle, 2 You're
2: throwing in one more curveball, one more left turn before the end of the set. And that would Res- be Porch. Reset everybody.
0: Yep. Reset everybody that's going to reset again. So Mike, again on Porch, I thought was very, very cool. And as unfortunate that it is that we didn't have Javier today, we do have him in spirit because he did fill out a note on Porch. I really wanted to know what his take was and what that sound was. There's a lot of very cool kind of echo and reverb that's going on here. Almost like a garage band sort of experimenting with the one pedal that they have kind of deal. So Javier says that Mike is using the Boss Delay DM2 the red one, the classic one. Super analog dark delay combined with his wa pedal. In an analog delay, when you play with the time going faster and slower, you can create those kind of alarm sounds. I think that's pretty cool. That's yeah. pretty cool right there.
2: It felt a little drony to me, like it was sure. to have that little like they were working on one thing and just kind of building on one little drone and like seeing how they could meander and work around that. It was it was a cool version. It's unfortunate what happens in the middle of it, but it was it was going somewhere really cool.
0: Right, yeah, we don't necessarily get to find out what the payoff is to that. I mean, we kind of do, I suppose, but it cuts out around the four-minute mark, and that's because the power went out. Somebody cut the power. I wonder if it's like... They were supposed to play until a certain time, and then it sounds probably, really, really weird to say that. Radiohead. Radiohead showed up and like, "Guys,
2: come on, we got a sound check. You gotta, <laughs> yeah, yeah, with
0: this. This, these mainstream posers. <laughs> yeah. So the crowd is like, just kind of like, what's going on for two minutes? I wonder if the band played through that because when they come back in, it sounded like they never stopped playing.
2: Oh no, I, I don't. I think they stop and then. Okay. But we know they can come back in on time. It'll just go back and look. At like and go they're so locked in they, they
0: know what's up and Ed kind of remarks after that he's like you guys are all right for Texas and then Jack at the end is you want Filthy fills, well he has about six of them so there you go <laughs> he's very talented at the drums alright it is encore 2 one song left It says we thank you for sticking with us through all that shit and the tickets and all. Trying to do it the right way is not the easy way. Probably why there's so many wrongs in this world. But with your support, we're able to continue on like that. Then he gives a shout-out to artists from Austin, Texas area, like Daniel Johnston. And he mentions a great roadie, Daniel Fine, who I don't really know the name of and couldn't find much information about. But uh, also mentions Gibby Haynes, the lead singer of the Butthole Surfers. And great guitar players like Stevie Ray Vaughn, and then I guess sort of loses and says, Oh, great legends like Paul Bunyan. But historically, Paul Bunyan was from the North, right? Like oh, Minnesota know. territory. Maybe. I don't, think I don't it know. Was Texas. Because yeah. he's always wearing like a winter yeah. cap. Yeah. And I think there is a big Paul Bunyan in blue. In Minnesota, I don't know. We're going to have to talk to Kirk, who is the Minnesota guy, on that one. But I think he just kind of lost his train of thought a little bit. Now, Indifference apparently was being played as the sun was going down. And that is such a cool thing to think about because it is incredibly rare for Pearl Jam to start a show at 4 o'clock in any era aside from, like, Lollapalooza 1992. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. It's a very, very slow and sparse version. Mostly, it's just Jeff and Ed, and then in those little in-between vocal verses stone and jack will come in a little bit but there's also a very very cool moment with the crowd where Ed sort of misses Oswald uh, poison line and you can hear the crowd fill in the gaps right there I thought that that was very very cool for a song that end of a very hard rocking record that doesn't necessarily have that same vibe it's it's a little toned down a little bit for 1993 1994 1995 it might not be the favorite of anybody's but but the crowd seems to really fill in and take a liking to it, which is awesome to see.
2: Yeah, this is so sparse that it's almost not a version of Indifference. I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. But, yeah, you mentioned it. Like, the thing they went on around 6 o'clock, so this would be around 8 o'clock, which is... Imagine this at, like, Twilight as the sun goes down. Super cool. But, yeah, on Indifference, like, I almost wonder, too, if, like, Mike and Stone even came out, because this is a a different Encore here. We're in Encore 2. I wonder if they were even on stage for most of this at some point because it's just Ed. Jeff is barely playing. Jack is barely keeping
0: up along. You do hear Stone at one point.
2: Yeah, he, he, they do come in. They're definitely there, but I don't know if Mike is there. It feels I like don't maybe Mike just, is there. Just one guitar. I don't know if he was just too exhausted to come out and after porch and everything that happened to come back and play. But yeah, I mean, you want quiet. You want restrained. Like. This is almost the quietest and the sparsest they've ever been. It's barely even there.
0: For that crazy of a show and Mike getting all the moments that he did, it is kind of crazy that we do end out on this very, very sparse Kind of stark version of this. And yeah. but the crowd is up for it. The crowd loves it. The crowd thanks them. All everybody that showed up at the right time and <laughs> and ends this one out by saying, we're all survivors. We'll see you next time. Go see the band Seaweed tonight at emos. That's a hell of a sentence right there. They were friends from Seattle and then mentions eighty nine point one and go out into the parking lot and listen to us. spin some records on that. So all right. The difficulty of picking three from this one is going to be a story right here. So I'm just going to let you go first.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I uh, have so many honorable mentions. Like, I want to pick Last Exit. I want to pick Why Go? I want to pick I Got Shit and Rearview Mirror. I want to pick Black and Porch and Indifference. But my number three is going to be Immortality. My number two is State of Love and Trust. And my number one is Corduroy.
0: Yeah, there's a real lot of good stuff at this show. I mean, all those can be my honorable mention as well. But I would have to say that my number three is probably going to be I Got Shit Here. My number two, I thought the solo on Go was just explosive and something you really never get to hear on Go. So I'm going to say that's number two. My number one easily is Immortality.
1: That
0: makes the show for me. All right, now we give this one a rating controversy that happened at the show but the show is a classic 1995 show so can't wait to hear what we come up with for this oh
2: my my base for 1995 is so high i'm gonna give this one a nine and a
0: half i'm right there that is exactly what i felt like when i was listening to it on the plane on the way to chicago and nothing changed as the set went right through it was a barn burner, and again, pleasure to hear Jack. Pleasure to hear Mike on fire for this one. I thought the encore—if the encore was a, had a little bit more strength to it—then I think I might have gone ten for this. Yeah. But everything else was just right on point. All the intangibles that you get from 1995 are right there. Next week we are going to do a little bit of Dave A, and it is a show. That has 10 songs in the set list and that is being done for a purpose because we got two shows, Monday and Tuesday, to pay attention to and do instant reaction episodes for. So there isn't a whole lot of time for edit, so we decided to forfeit the show that we were originally supposed to do and then do something a little bit easier that won't take as much time. For me in the edit room, so we are doing Lawrence, Kansas, the University of Kansas campus, Jayhawk, Rock Chalk, and that's the film from 1992. And there's not a lot of information around written about this, but there is video, and there is one thing that I've always known about this show that the video presents, and it's very, very classic 1992. So can't wait to talk about all that and another afternoon show, but yeah,
2: that one's a blank slate, it's going to be
0: fun to talk about absolutely absolutely all right well if you like what you heard here then feel free if you're not subscribed to us then feel free to go to spotify apple and hit that subscribe button it'll pop up every time that we put out a new episode which is wednesdays primarily but you never know things happen sometimes we post a little early we post a little late who knows post a little extra maybe and if you like what we're doing you can rate us five stars if you'd like you do that on Spotify, you do that on Apple, but on Apple, you can also leave us a comment and let us, and really it's not just for us, but it's for the rest of the universe of Pearl Jam fans out there know what they're getting into when they listen to this podcast. And as of this point in time, we have exactly 99 ratings on Apple Podcasts. So if you want to be the 100th rating out there, then Please, that was actually our goal a long time ago. And forgot to kind of mention it because we got like so many in at once. We got like, f- you know, 30 or 40 in at one time that I'm just like, oh, well, screw 100. We'll get to 100 at some point. But we are at 99. We just need one. That was the goal for the year. And hey, let's see if we can just run right by that and get as many as we can because it helps. It really does help the next person that is looking for something to listen to. So all right, so now on to next week where it seems like we'll be done with all the shows. We won't have that reaction to all the shows because it'll be recorded before Austin, but we'll be done by that point, and everybody will kind of be starting their uh, PTD right there. And if you don't know what PTD is, then you're going to feel it at some point. It always happens. But let's close this one out. This maybe the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, Miss you already, miss you always. Well, it's all about the live stuff, and we're just glad that Pearl Jam's on the road doing it, and they're doing it the right way this time around. So we'll see you next week and talk a little bit more about it.
2: When you're in Austin, visit Al's Penis Faucet Ranch.